Let's think come on. Good. Restoring true worship. I don't know if you guys have reflected on um, the messages over uh, a period of time, but from the beginning of the year till now, I've had three themes that God has put in my heart to preach on, to share, to cultivate. Um, I think uh, maturity and our life with Christ. The first one, if you'd remember, I spent quite a few weeks on just the Word of God. And I've been praying that the Lord would stir in every one of us, including myself, a deep and earnest love for His Word. Um, so much so that uh, I think you'll remember I, I, had, I had to do a little research and I had to get a little idea. If, if we were reading our Bibles, how, how long would it take to read through six uh, in six months, how long or well, how long would I have to read my Bible, or how many chapters would I have to read? And I think it probably surprised many people, but the idea is six chapters a day would get you through your Bible uh, in six months. And so that I think was a challenge to me and to others, and I, I think that it's important that we did. And so the Word of God is a foundation for our life. Number two is prayer. These are the, fun, the fundamentals, but they're foundational to everything. If we kind of leak away from these, I don't know where we're going to go. Well, now number three is worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you worship. Um, and actually, I want to say this, because just from my own experience, worship has been a key piece to being able to pray, to get close to God. It's a very centerpiece of my prayer time. Um, it's almost non-existent for me to go in and pray without singing or worshiping when I'm by myself. Now, I am not a worship leader as far as that's concerned. I don't know if maybe I could do better at that than I think I could, but I'm sealed at the moment that there's far other people that are far greater at leading it. But as far as the heart of worship and the love of it, I don't give a care about the sound of my voice. I don't care about how I sound. It doesn't matter to me. And sometimes it feels like there's a harmony in my spirit that kind of takes away from the fog of the voice. So I want you to think about how important worship is to you and how important it is to God. And I know it's important. I don't think I sit in an audience of people who don't feel like worship isn't important. Being able to worship God beyond just song and on a deeper level than just our songs. But our songs are so an important part of it. Do you have a song in your heart that's your song with God? That anytime you sing that song, that's a song that's been there between you and the Lord. The Lord used that song in a very special way in your life. For many of us, we have lots of songs. But what does Jesus do to cultivate worship in a heart that's not there? In, in somebody else's heart. And maybe even in our own. So can we look through the milestones of our life and look at what Jesus has done? I think John chapter 4 is the best depiction of what Jesus does to claim a worshiper. And so uh, let's start reading here in John chapter 4, and then I want to pray. But I want to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Isaac, it is, should be up there. There we go. <clears throat> Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, 
Though John himself, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now, there's two reasons for that. One is because in order to go where he was going to go, he had to go through Samaria to get there. But there was another reason. And we don't have a name for her, but we have her as the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, and she's crucial to everything that we're reading here. It's interesting that God did not inspire it into the writers to find a name somehow to get her name in here, but to inspire her story. And I wonder if part of the reason for that is, is that we could each one of us consider ourselves similar to a Samaritan woman. And so we don't need a name because our name fits there in a sense. Even the guys in the place, you can think of yourself in, as in her place, relating to Jesus just like she did. But he needed to go through Samaria. In other words, Jesus was on a special mission. And actually, this mission became far more significant. I'm sure that Jesus had an idea what was happening, but far more than significant probably any one of us would have at the onset of what Jesus is doing. Samaria was not you know, like the big city of the day or the spiritual city of the day, but there was something very powerful that what God was going to do. This was inspired by God to get our attention and to show us that God has a divine priority. So I remember a number of years ago, a man told me uh, him and his wife had went to, they were knocking on doors, but God had a priority home for them. And it was a, it was a home where there was three little, girl, three little kids, and the oldest girl, she was probably not more than five years old. And he shares the story, and it's such a heartbreaking reality, of, but also a very highlight reality of how God just has a priority. And I think... Of all the doors they knocked on, that was the priority door. And the reason I say that is because the little girl that answered the door, she said in relating back to them that she was about to commit suicide, but that the God spoke to her and said, I'm sending somebody to you. That was God's priority. You know, we had gone to a church, a big, a fairly good-sized church with a lot of people, but there weren't very many people like that man and his wife that felt the call of God. Or maybe God was calling to so many people, but they were the only ones that responded, I couldn't tell you. But God had them on an assignment on a special mission as well. If we're not careful, life's distractions may keep us from discovering what is in our Samaria? What's our Samaria? What do we need to be going through? If you're not praying today, if you're not seeking the Lord's will for your moment right now, like I know there, there's what God's done in the past. and Never forget it and keep giving Him praise and loving Him for what He's done in your past. Always bring that up fresh to the Lord. But never let go of what God wants to do coming forward. And so we may be care we need to be careful because I think there are already plenty of distractions that we don't and they're not meant to be distractions. Let me just say that. Most of what we deal with in life were never intended to be distractions, but they become distractions. 
simply because for some reason we don't find ourselves skirting into Samaria to find what's God's priority. Where does He want me today? Whose doorstep? Whose life? But I'm sure that every one of us in this place, or probably the majority of us, have can say, I remember a day. I can recall certain moments when it felt like I was on an assignment to God's priority. Well, Jesus has priority to reach souls. There's no way that we can get around it. Our neighbors may be those souls. There's people that we work around. People we face day to day. Sometimes when we're going to the car shows or the events that are taking place in the community, and they're Jesus' assignment. Jesus has a mission to get them and to reach them and to minister to them. And I think that's really powerful when we realize that God has a priority and I really want Him to share that with my heart. But I want a heart that's open to it. And that we also see in this that true worshipers are mined out of rough places. So this Samaritan woman, she was despised by the Jews. There was a number of other things that we're going to get into, but she had basically problems. She had a whole laundry list of reasons why God should not be considering her as a specimen for worship and as somebody who can be a child of God. She had every reason in the book to say, I don't belong to the kingdom of God as it were. My life is black and dark and there's no harmony in it. And so I want you to think about, Jesus didn't go to holy people to specify not on this occasion what worship was going to be all about, but He went to a despised woman to show us what worship in the heart of God was going to be all about. I wanted to read here in verses 5-6, through six, still in John chapter 4. And so He came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So not only did Jesus go into this city, but Jesus went to this well. Of all the places that Jesus could be, he and there was a, there was a divine, divine assignment to be at the well. And I was praying about this this morning, and I, I just and I felt like God putting this on my heart is is that. Some of the most significant lessons we're ever going to learn about worship is not going to be found in the holy place, but in the common place. I think it's important that we carry the heart and the spirit of worship everywhere we go. And here Jesus is going to a well somewhere within the city, and He's waiting for a woman to come to Him. He's waiting for this moment that He's meant there to be for. And so He's there on this assignment. He's not meant to go preach to the crowds. He's not meant to go hold a revival. He's not meant to go into the city, not at this moment, to go heal all the sick. He's meant to be there for this woman. That's powerful because I reflect on that. Because I think about my life, but I want to think about your life too. And it's like, there are times when we feel like we're just not seen. Or out of all the crowd of people, or all the talented 
people or out of the pastor in the ministry. I shouldn't be the one that God really takes time for. I don't have the talents. I don't have the abilities. I don't have, I don't have, whatever. And you are the one Jesus is coming to. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today somebody is not in this church, but they're hearing this message at some point. And for them, this is the day that Jesus is coming to you. See, because He doesn't come in and announce. He doesn't walk in the door and knock. He doesn't call before He shows up. He just shows up. He shows up in an hour where you weren't ready or thinking about it. You didn't realize this was your moment to spend with Jesus. And that's the way it was for this Samaritan woman is that we don't get to find God on our own. You could, you, I could come to church and not find the Lord. I could go to a place to go pray. Or I could go find a, a place around the mountaintop where I'm just going to go spend alone with God and I might not find God. But when God comes, I might not have been planning on finding Him. I didn't go to a place, but He came to a common place because Jesus wants to be known in the community. Jesus wants to be known. He wants you to feel and know Him wherever you go. I've spent some tender moments with the Lord, and I'm sure you have, where I was at work and the Lord had touched my heart. And I might not have had a song, or I might have had a song, but I felt that there was worship that was happening without a song. My heart was throbbing, and there was something that I was feeling that God was giving to me. And I just, I, I can still hold those moments. They still feel like I live for that day, Lord, that it just seems like, why all other days not, but why this day so? But I don't take too much time to think about that, because I realize, just savor the moments that you have with God. Because they're going to live beyond that moment. And worship is really, it's an eternal moment that you spend with God that continues to, to um, give life and breath and, and inspiration for the years to come. When tragedy strikes and heartbreak hits, you're going to remember those days that you had with God. You're going to remember what the Lord did for you. When you're living in the life's heights and in the best days of your life and all you can think of how wonderful it is, and you're going to remember that this was just a piece of the icing on the cake because the worship was the piece that you really wanted and needed. And so I think that that's the reason for it in the common places because when we get wrapped up in the holy place and it's all about coming to church and it's all about being in the right place at the right time, then there's so many times in our life where we miss what God wanted for us. It's a challenge these days for us to worship the Lord because the environments that we often live in, work in, whatever, it doesn't, it's not calculated for worship. It's not asking you to worship. It's begging you not to worship. It's begging you not to have your mind on God. Just keep your mind here. I was reminded of uh, the story of Abraham and, and uh, Hagar and that she was so treated ill by Sarah that she fled from and she ran away. And the, holy, the, the angel met her on the, her pathway to doom, pretty much. And after she was done with that meeting, <laughs> it says in the Word of God, it says that you're the God who sees. And to me, that's what I'm capturing in worship, is that God is seeing. He sees me. And I want him to I want him to see you and I want him 
but I want him to see me too. I need that. You need that. Let's continue on. Verses uh, 7 through 9. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, I love this, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She just doesn't know what Jew she is talking to, does she? You know, when Jesus is asking her for this, he's not really wanting to get something from her. He's feeding into something. He's preparing her for something. There's something fascinating about the wisdom of Jesus. That as you read through the the Bible and the verses and the Scriptures, it's like Jesus, there's this superior wisdom that you can't begin to comprehend. You're like, Lord, if I could just have a little bit of that from you. But she brings up this conflict that's a part of her culture. I want you to hear that. This is a cultural conflict. And that is the Jews and the Samaritans have a big dividing mark between the two of them. I'm not going to get into the history of it. I'm just going to say that this piece of the culture was really important. So when Jesus says, give me drink, He was breaking the cultural prejudice that prevented her from believing that she could receive from Him. Because he, she, he hasn't invited her into what He's about to, but before He gives her the invite, there's a cultural prejudice that got into her life. And I don't know about you, but I think that sometimes, whether you're a Christian or you're on the outside of the church, you feel like there's a cultural prejudice between the world and the church. And there is, in a sense, because when it comes to sin, there's a division there. But there's also the promise of salvation that Jesus makes. And I'm re- I love this song. And it's this, these words to the song, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. As I think about that, that's what bridges the gap between the world and the church as far as that's concerned. Is Because that is how we come in. You didn't come in because you came into the holy environment and you were part of the holy culture and you got to be able to talk like everybody else and you learned the language, but it's because that you were bought with the same blood and you were in the same condition that everybody else was in. And there was only one way for to receive forgiveness. And it was because Jesus made the sacrifice. And I accept that sacrifice. I accept nothing else as that sacrifice. I hope in nothing else but the sacrifice of Jesus. There are people whose way of life is so far from the Christian virtue that they are in no better place than she was. They accept rejection as their fate, and unless otherwise demonstrated, they are certain of it and reject Christianity in ignorance of it. Now, something I've caught, and this has just been this has been more recently, I've been noticing it more. But like the LGBTQ and numerous other things, and I am not in support of that. But what I've noticed is this: is that it's pretty quick that the way we talk about people that are in that frame of life, I'm listening and I'm not a part of LGBTQ, but I'm like, you sound like you're already rejected them. 
and, and if, I haven't, if I judge things appropriately, you came from the same cross that washed you from your sins. What's the problem here? And, and what I notice is this, that it's a threat to our Christian life. We're afraid that it's going to get into our politics, get into our government, and it is. And they're going to have a rule and say so as to whether you can worship and how you can worship and what you can preach and how you can do it. And so they are getting rejected because we don't want you interfering with our freedoms as a Christian. But then I felt like the Holy Spirit inspired something in my heart and it was this. James, do not rely on the politics to fix your problems. Don't think voting is going to fix the problems of LGBTQ and everything else that you have to deal with. The Gospel is your answer. When you see them on the street, the only hope that I have is that they will find the same Jesus who redeemed my heart. And if they do, then this is the difference. This is the difference. We can end the, we can end the tyranny by pretty much eliminating the problem. Or we can change the heart and see them testify of Jesus from the background of their life as this is where I was. This is what Jesus did. That's what I want to see happen. I don't want legislation to stop them. I want Jesus to stop them. Now, I don't mean by that, hey, don't vote and keep the votes in the sense of freedom, but let's preach the Gospel. Let's believe in the power of the Gospel. And when we do, we'll see them come out of that lifestyle and find Jesus for them. And we'll humbly love them deeply. We're going to have some challenges to de de deep, deeply love people that live that have lived lives of those kind of perversion. Because why? Because they're, need, they're being sanctified in front of us. And what do I mean by that? Their life isn't perfectly transformed. Everything in the way that they talk, the way they dress, and everything that they say, the moment they come to Jesus, they're still getting that cleansed and purified. And you're learning to love them while that's happening. You're seeing in them the heart of honesty. I'm truly seeking the Lord, but I'm still learning the ways of Jesus. Just like you did, right? Just like you did. And so there's a heart of worship that Jesus is including it here, breaking the cultural prejudice. And though it is true that Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, were not true of Jesus. One of the greatest hindrances to worship is our culture. Let's continue on in John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him. That was what Jesus was really getting at. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, do, where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? I've been hung up on those words. Jesus said, if you had known who I was, you would have asked and I would have given. That's been a personal for me. I'm like, Lord, 
because I know who you are, I'm going to ask. And I want to learn to ask better and more because this is freely given. Essentially, Jesus was arousing her curiosity to defeat her ignorance. Curiosity has a powerful role in lending us to God. Though she was not sure of who Jesus was, she was open to further discovery. You know, I think that's the difference is, is that we are so quickly annoyed by people if we're not careful that we don't find out if there's any kind of a seed of interest for discovery. We're like, oh, this is the problem. Actually, the problem is, are they willing? If they're not willing, that's the problem. But if there's willingness there, then you can shatter everything else behind it. And so Jesus is like, if you would have asked, I would have given you living water. And she just got up and she's like, what is this living water? She's not, she doesn't know that Jesus is inviting her into worship. She doesn't understand Jesus is calling her into the kingdom. And Jesus really isn't cluing her in either. Everything he said, he's on a spiritual level. And he's talking about living water. She thinks he's talking about drinking water. And it's not the same thing. And Jesus, and, and then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? And, and Jesus remains gentle with her. And he remains consistent. And he doesn't get out of sorts no matter what kind of, uh, what, how she speaks back to him. So what we see here is that worship must be centered in and around a true union with Jesus. Jesus is basically telling her that when you get to know who I really am, then your life will be changed and molded through that revelation. But you need to know me. There is no worship without knowing Jesus. So I know that there are a lot of people who they know God in their particular way. It's not God as He's revealed Himself through His Word. It's God as they've determined God to be for them. And they don't enter into the worship that Jesus is trying to get us into is because it's my God the way I deem Him to be. But Jesus is His own revelation. And as He's revealed to our hearts and we accept Him for who He is, then we enter into worship. And Jesus answered, and, and let's go to verses 13 and 15. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever, so he's talking about Jacob's well, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She's still thinking he's talking about drinking water. Like, I'm going to get this water. That Who are you? I don't know, but I really want this. And it's still, Jesus is not cluing her in. He's not breaking it down and defining to her, I'm talking about spiritual things. She thinks he's still talking about natural things. And though it appears that Jesus is making no progress as a Samaritan woman, yet he remains Tender, gracious, and patient. No true worshiper will ever be cultivated from the ground of our grievance or criticism. If I were not a Christian today, if I were not a pastor in this church, if I were still without Jesus in my life, there would be never a day in your life, not that I can say because of my pride, because of my sinful disposition, that you could criticize me into the kingdom of God. 
that you could talk behind my back to somebody about me and bring me into the kingdom of God. That you could gossip about my life through prayer and get me to Jesus. We have to be very careful that the way we present Jesus. See, because this is what I found profound, is Jesus didn't even touch on her sin yet. Jesus hadn't even revealed. It was like He was secretly working His way into showing her, I am the Messiah. He hadn't even said plainly who He was. He was just having dialogue with this woman and He's being patient with her and gentle with her and being holy in His conversation with her. That's powerful. Because I think that's the groundwork where we actually see the power of the Holy Spirit at work is when we can work tenderly and faithfully with people in bringing them to the understanding of the Word of God. Now, Jesus had not yet done something else. He hadn't even yet given her the prophecy that He was going to. That's coming. It's right on the verge right now. So this is where it happens in verses 16 through 18. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. <laughs> and the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now you now have is not your husband. That that you spoke truly. Now Jesus gets into the sin issue because he's pretty much got her interest. She's like, give me this living water, but yet she's still not understanding what he's really getting at. And all that Jesus was doing up until this point was preparing her for prophecy because this was the groundwork for changing her heart. And Jesus did not sport his gifts or show off his power to get attention or recognition. That's why Jesus waited till this moment. <laughs> There are so many circles today that the whole idea is to show off the power of God to wow the people to come into Jesus. And Jesus didn't waste the gift of God on carnal hearts. He brought the gift of God on cultivated hearts. I don't have that in my notes. You might want to take that down. Jesus didn't waste the gift on carnal hearts. He brought the gift on cultivated hearts. He cultivated the heart to receive the gift. He didn't just throw the gift out and say, receive it or lose it. He was preparing the groundwork so that the gift or the Word of God could take root within the heart. We need to learn to have the patience of the Spirit of God in our lives. Jesus prepared her for prophecy. Jesus did not sport His gifts or His power to get attention or recognition. He carefully cultivated the heart to a condition that it would receive the gift. Hasn't Jesus done that in our lives? We can look back on our life and it's like the Lord conditioned me so that I could receive Him. I didn't just see it, I felt it, and I got there by progress, but He got me there. Now in John 4, 17-24, the woman said to Him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews... So now she's getting... She hasn't got that he's Messiah, but she's got... He's a prophet. He's significant. You're important. 
The Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And this is what I caught in it, is that I see that the worship that God is doing is inspired through prophecy. And why do I say that? Because even if it's not a direct prophecy, it is that God in the essentially by His Spirit is prophesied to you. God sees you, as I said before. God sees you in such a way is, I don't believe that argument convinces most people. I believe that it's something as if it were spirit is. In a spiritual sense, it's prophetic to me. So for me, when God got a hold of my life, I remember there was things that were said to me, but it was my time spent with the, with the Lord. And it was like as if I felt like, how would I say it? What? When I was coming from the struggle of depression and suicidal thoughts, I felt like the Lord showed to me how He loved me. And it was so convincing and so real that it shattered the depression over my life. There wasn't a man to show me that. There was people trying to speak to me that idea. But it wasn't until I got the revelation from God myself that I understood it and it was real to me and it was life-changing and life-altering. And to me, that's what I mean by the worship is inspired through prophecy. It's that God has actually revealed and got revelation to my soul. That's the prophecy essentially that I'm talking about. However that comes about, that has made me see that God sees me. That's what inspires me. To worship Him. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. (laughs) Hallelujah. She's finally getting there. Who is called Christ. And then He comes. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, Oh, mark these words. That He was waiting for this moment. He was working to this moment. I who speak to you am He. I want to read a few other verses here. And it says, This morning while we were in prayer, the Lord got this verse on my heart. And I'm just, I'm so ready to share this with you. So in verses 28 and 29, And the woman then left her water pot. I'm hoping you catch that one. I'm hoping you see that. She went there to fill the water pot. She left there with no concern or care for the water pot. She got it. She got it. See, there's things that the world begins to entangle us with. There's the affairs of the world, the interests of the world, the cares of the world, cares for our own life, our needs of life. And we come, just like she did, as if to have God fulfill those needs for us. And there's a point when we get into worship, That it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter if I starve. I would rather be with you, Jesus. 
And the highlight of worship is that God is more important than everything else. And that's the beauty of what we're seeing here. She's so ecstatic about meeting the real Messiah. This man who said everything, told me everything in my life, prophesied to me, and then showed me that he was the Messiah. I'm convinced. And I believe that's where real worship begins, is the moment we become convinced that Jesus is our Messiah. He's our Messiah. And then I love this part. And then you go in the last verse here in verse 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, who told me all that I ever did. <clears throat> There's a culture in, in church, uh, in religion, that gives us the feeling that we have, to, we have to have the form of godliness and keep up the appearances so that we can testify out of a form. So we can say, I've gone to church, I pay my tithes, I, whatever. And that's what recommends us to the world around us. And we have that feeling in our culture that that's what we've got to bring to the people around us. But what you see is this is a raw form of a woman who just came out of the, how would I say it, the birth canal of God. And she finally found Jesus for herself. And she was already a worshiper because she had received Him as her Messiah. And, and she didn't go out and sing a song. She went out and told the city. Oh, praise God for that. Right? She went and told the city. And the Samaritans believed because of the testimony of a true worshiper. Not of a true churchgoer, but of a true worshiper. I'm going to go back and listen to this message. This is going to touch me. <laughs> a true worshiper. Because the thing is, the Spirit of God gets in the life of somebody who's no longer about themselves and all about Jesus. They left their water pot to go serve God. They left the care and the concern about how am I going to make ends meet for me and they just wanted to make sure that Jesus got the worship of their life. And you know what's amazing? God finds a way to take care of you. It's so beautiful to see that. And why? Why is He doing that? Because He wants to, he wants to do everything. The, the heart of God is to do whatever it takes to ensure that you stay a worshiper and you don't get lost from that. You don't get off the course of it. And God is restoring worshipers where we can... We sing to Him songs, but we've devoted our lives to that thing. And we've gone to the city. We've left our water pot. We've left Jacob's well. And we've gone out into the community. And we're just sharing from the rawness of how real that love is. Today that love just feels new and real to me. Yesterday's love was good, but today's love is fresh. And that's what I'm sharing out of. And people are like, I, you're not, why, how is it that uh, one of the times I remember the most, and I'm closing with this, but I remember I was, I was at Milton Free Water, and we had some crude guys to work with, a couple of them. And I remember this guy, I was talking to him, and, and I had asked him early on if he would watch his language and careful with some of the things that he was saying. And uh, he didn't take offense to it, but I think he had an idea behind it. And I remember 
it was like uh, it was like the conversation had switched. And it went from like there was this antagonist looking to try and defeat me or kind of show through all of my hypocritical, you know, you're, you're just a Christian on the outside form, but we'll, we'll find out who you really are later on. And then it had changed to this like interest. And I remember him saying, he said, I've never talked to any Christian like you. <laughs> and I think that's because there's something deposited by the Spirit of God while we worship the Lord. We've devoted our lives to Him, and He was getting a taste of that. I think that's what it was. And to this day, I still look, I, I still think about that and think that was that's kind of the reference of what Jesus is doing in our lives. So I want to I want to end this service having you reflect on worship. I want you to take this home with you. Because I think what I've done. I think I've just inspired and encouraged you to worship the Lord more. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. I'm not having the worship team come up. I'm going to have them take that time for themselves. And so I'm going to have Caleb in the background um, just play the music in the background. I love the music because it just makes me tender. and just gives me kind of a, what breaks up the atmosphere from conversation. gives me an opportunity to worship the Lord. I want to invite you to do that. Um, otherwise, I want to invite you to come to be a part of the potluck. I'm going to pray over you. And I want you to respond to the Lord as He's wooing you. And if you feel like uh, He's wooing you for another time, I'll just wait for you to do that later. Amen? Father, I want to praise You and thank You for the Holy Spirit. I feel so encouraged. and It seems like the, You have been so good to me to inspire the words to come out of my mouth, Lord. It felt it was better than what I saw in the pages here. Jesus, I'm so grateful, Lord, for what you want to do in our lives. And I'm grateful for everybody who's tending to that right now. Lord, is receiving from their hearts what it is that you're trying to say to them. So, Lord, I trust this message was meant to encourage us and spring us on to worship, Father, to love you on a deeper level, to thank you for the past of what you've already done, Lord, the many things that you've brought us through. To reflect on your faithfulness in our life and absorb that into this moment and, and inspire us for the rest of this day. And Lord, what does it mean for Lord for the rest of our life? Jesus, help us hold on to it and thank you more. And Father, I thank you, Jesus, for the worship that you are inspiring in this place, Lord, to just love you truly. And we magnify you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay, well, go ahead and play that in the background.